<laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can you relate with Catherine? It's so funny, but so true, right? That when, when we encounter hard times in our lives, it takes effort to get through them. We don't like it. We don't want to hear. Just stop it, right? It's just too hard. Well, maybe you can relate with Catherine. Maybe you can relate with the song that we heard just before that about being tired and worn, having a heavy heart, and the work that it takes to keep on breathing sometimes, right? We can all feel like that at times. Maybe that's not where you are this morning. Maybe you're on top of the world and life is going awesome. Good for you. Can you tell me your secret, please? <laughs> I mean, but seriously, right? Like, if, if you're there, if you're in a great place, well, you're probably not going to be there forever. That's just not how life works. This world is broken. We all eventually end up like <laughs> her um, or like the song where we're just at the end of our rope. So none of us are perfect. We all need help sometimes. Like the woman in the video, like the song, we all know at some point we are going to need hope and healing to get us through. And that's what we get to see today in John chapter 5 which I'm going to get to in just a minute. I'm very excited. If you don't know much about Jesus, don't worry. You'll get to see him today, which is awesome. And if you've been around church for a long time, maybe you've been here as this gospel uh, of John has been unfolding before us, um, great. But wherever you are, in good times or bad, in hard times and struggle, there's good news today from this chapter. And let me introduce myself. I failed to do that earlier. My name is Kevin. I get to work with all the students here, the middle school and high school kids. And if you remember it, pray for us, but pray for me for the next two weekends, because I'm taking 39 students to camp. <laughs> yeah, most of the middle school, which is very exciting. So cool. Thank you, Jesus, for working. I mean, 26 middle school kids. I don't know. 18 boys. <sighs> going to be fun. Anyway, pray for us. Um, and if you haven't been with us in the Gospel of John series, I just wanted to give you a very, very brief recap of where we've been so that you know what's going on and where we're headed. You don't need to know this, but if you've been tracking, it might be helpful. So um, where are we? Oh, yes. In John chapter 1, we find out who Jesus is, that he is the Word made flesh, that he is both God and and man in one person. So cool, so hard to understand, but that's where we begin. In John chapter 2, we begin to see what that means. Jesus does his first miracle to prove to people, they're not really paying attention yet, but that he is both God and man, and he turns water into wine. Pretty cool. Party. <laughs> chapter 3, this guy, this old guy named Nicodemus, kind of comes to Jesus at night and says, hey, I want to know what I have to do to get life, like real life. And Jesus says, well, you've got to be born again. And by that, he means you have to have the Holy Spirit working in you and through you. It's not just some one-time, one-minute experience. No, it's this continual thing that the Holy Spirit works in us and through us. 
in chapter 4, where we've been for the last two weeks, um, Ben first got to show us about the Samaritan woman at the well and how Jesus, though he was thirsty, ends up giving her living water and it transforms her life. And then last week, Katie shared this amazing story, the second miracle, second sign of Jesus and his power of this royal official whose son was very, very sick and that Jesus' very words, way off in the distance, far away, this man was, this son was healed at God's power, right? So that gets us to where we are today. We get to see miracle number three to show us who Jesus really is. And I'm excited. It'll be fun. But what's also hard about this is that in this point, the Jewish leaders are catching wind of what Jesus is doing and they're getting upset. And sadly, that's like two other sermons that you're not going to hear today. So just keep that in mind that people are not happy with Jesus doing some of what he's doing. Let me pray and we're going to get into John chapter 5. Jesus, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for humor. I thank you for our emotions. And I thank you how you use them to draw us close to you. God, we are all in different places. Even I am, even compared to an hour ago, God, I'm in a different place. But we need to hear from you. So would you, by your spirit, speak to us this morning? Show us who you are and change our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. John chapter 5. Here's what it says. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades or porches. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. And one who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. So the first few verses of this chapter, they set our scene, but also give us some really important details about what's going to happen. First of all, this is a festival. There's like three of these. It's like Christmas and Easter at church. When if you don't come the rest of the year, you come on those days. Everybody is in Jerusalem. Everyone. That's why Jesus is going. And they're all going to the temple to worship. Secondly, you see there's these pools. Well, if you do some archaeological research, which they just found them like 100 years ago, these pools are actually there right next to the temple, like, like I don't know, two football fields away from the, the wall of the Temple Mount. It's right there, these pools of Bethesda. So, so Jesus comes into the city, and there's the pools, and he's like, it's hot outside. I think I'm going to go where it's shaded in this place, and it's cool because of the water. And, but there's all these people, and many of them around this pool are waiting to be healed. And uh, Maybe you'll catch this or not. I imagine this is similar but a little bit different than like, you know, high school guys or junior high guys walking by a pool in the middle of summer and taking a look around at who might be here. <laughs> Maybe different motives there. I don't know. But anyway, there's lots of people around this pool. 
And Jesus takes notice of this one, this one man who has been sick for 38 years. Well, why are these people waiting at the pool? What's going on? Well, let's read verse 4. I need you to look up there to see it. Wait, can you find verse 4? Where is it? Why not? Well, I'm here to tell you, it was taken out 40 years ago. It's fine. What? You can't edit the Bible. How's that? I know I've shocked a bunch of people on this side of the room. <laughs> sorry. Um, so let me explain. I'm, I'm sorry. This is me being teacher, professor, academic for like two minutes. But I think it's really important that we all, if we're going to trust this book and say that it's going to change our lives, we need to understand how it was put together and why it's here, why it's like it is. So, in the oldest copies of the Gospel of John that we have, verse 4 doesn't exist. But until about 50 years ago, Dead Sea Scrolls, anybody hear about that? Our copies, most of them had verse 4 in there. Well, how did it get there? Why is it taken out? Well, here's what happened. Say, 100 years after John was written, a monk was reading through, and he doesn't understand why people are waiting at this pool. And so he asks his boss, Father Monk or whatever, and the Father Monk says, oh, there was this tradition that an angel would come down and move the water around, and, you know, the first person to get in the pool would be healed. So the monk goes back to his bedroom where he's copying by hand every letter. That's crazy work. And he writes it in the margin and says, this is what's going on here in case, you know, you don't understand. And then he keeps copying. Well, you know, this copy gets passed to the next guy, and the next guy's like, oh, maybe that was a correction and it should have been inside. And so after a couple of copies, this thing made it into the original Bible. Now, okay, not a big deal. And when you get back to the earliest copies, you see that it's not there. I know I don't want to shock you, but I think it's important. But here's the most important piece about verse 4 being missing. If it's there or if it's missing, if you have a King James, it's actually at the bottom in your Bible. It might be in a little footnote. Either way, it doesn't change anything about the Jesus that we know. Okay? The Jesus that we know and love and believe in, this verse has no bearing on that at all. And the few other times that this happens in Scripture, it does happen other places. We'll get to more in John. Um, it doesn't change Jesus at all. We're good. Your Bible is still trustworthy, reliable, fully there. It's fully God-inspired. Don't be scared. Okay, back to our story. Verse 5. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. The lame man had been sick for a long time. He might not have been at the pool for 38 years, some people might say that. That's how I originally thought it was. But as I got into it, I'm like, no, 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 no. This man is desperate. If you were sick for 38 years, how would that affect the way that you think and feel about your life? You were probably desperate to find a way to walk again. And you're either that or you're probably lost all hope. And I think that this man has tried everything. He's tried everything to get better, every medicine, every device, every doctor, every good luck charm, everything. And the only thing that he can think of left 
is that he might be able to get into this pool where if the angel comes by at the right time, he can get in and be healed. By the way, this pool is actually more like our hot springs today where the water bubbles up and there's healing properties with the sulfur and, you know, that's how that goes, if you're curious. So this man has lost all hope and this is the only thing that he thinks can save him. We've all been in hopeless situations like that kind of before, right? Okay, move on to verse six. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned or knew that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Why did Jesus pick this one man out of all of the people here to come and ask that question to? They're all there because they want to get well, right? Well, maybe you might say, well, this guy, he's been there for a long time. Maybe he's just kind of lazy. That's why he can't get to the pool in time. Or maybe he really doesn't want to get well because he's got it pretty good because everybody helps him all the time. So, yeah, no, that's not how Jesus is asking the question. He's full of compassion for this man, and he's asking him simply, hey, do you want to be better? I mean, it's been a long time, though. And if you're going to be better, your life is going to change upside down. Do you want to get well? What a great question. It's not easy to answer that question, though, because getting well, being healed, it means that this guy is going to have a whole different way of life. He's been catered to for 38 years. He's had people carrying him places. He's had food brought to him. If he can walk again, then he's going to have to get a job and provide for himself. That's a big change. I mean, picture, maybe he's 45, so he has walked until he was seven. Now he has to become a per, I mean, purposeful part of society for the first time at 45? Yeah, that's, that's a really difficult choice. And it's not an easy question. And so how does the man respond? Of course, we'd all think, yes, I want to be healed. Of course, that's why I'm here at the pool. I've tried everything. But instead, the man kind of struggles. And he says, sir, I have no one to help me to the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. He's truly hopeless, isn't he? And he can only see this pool as the one and final solution to his problem. He has tunnel vision, and that's it. It reminds me of a story that maybe you've heard. So there was this man who lived in this town, and the whole town heard that they needed to evacuate because there was going to be a big flood. And so the man decides, though, hey, I'm going to pray, I'm going to trust God, and he's going he's gonna, to... He's going to save me. It'll be fine. And so as the water gets to about three feet, you know, his neighbor's getting in the canoe and saying, hey, hey, you should come with me. I've got spice, you know, space, you know. We can, we can get out of this thing. We can float down the river and beat the flood. The man says, no, thanks. I'm trusting God. He's going to save me. And so the rain keeps coming down, and it's getting so high that the man has to go into the second story. And along comes this police boat. Hey, we see you in there. Come on, come on, we're going to rescue you. 
no, 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 it's okay. I'm trusting God. He's going to save me. I know he's going to save me. Okay. So the water keeps coming, and now he's on the roof. Just a couple of square feet left. And this helicopter spots him, comes over, drops the ladder, and says, hey, grab on. We're going to rescue you. Come on, let's get out of here. No, 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 it's okay. It's okay. God's going to save me. Well, then what happens? The flood rises, and he gets swept away and ends up drowning. A depressing story, I know. (laughs) So when he's in heaven interacting with God, he has a big question. God, I put all my faith in you. Why didn't you come and save me? God says, well, I sent you the warning. I sent you the canoe. I sent you the motorboat and the helicopter. What more do you want? Right? Our man in this story, his answer is, yes, I want to get better, but I don't know how it's possible. Just like the man in the flood. He's got his eyes set on one solution. He's not there. He doesn't see what God might be able to do elsewhere. And when it comes to our heartaches and difficulty, we can be just like the man. We get tunnel vision. Sometimes we imagine only one possible solution to our trouble. Like it's our pool of Bethesda that we're waiting to get into instead of waiting for what Jesus might have in store for us. Maybe the only fix to our financial problems is that we would make more money or win the lottery. But if you know anything about people who win the lottery, they're usually bankrupt in a couple of years. So it's not going to solve our problem. Maybe the only way to feel good about our body and our image is to go to CrossFit five hours a day, (laughs) if you know what that is. But ultimately, that's not our true trouble, right? It's something else that needs to be dealt with. And maybe the only way to fix our relationship, we might think, is to break it off or to fix our loneliness is to be in a relationship. But maybe Jesus has something better as a solution than what we are so focused on. What's your pool of Bethesda? Where do you go to get healed, even though really it ultimately isn't going to satisfy you? Thankfully, whatever we go to, those are our plans, and they don't stop Jesus from accomplishing his plans. Oh, I love that. So, John chapter 5, verse 8. Jesus said to him, get up to the man. Pick up your mat and walk. And at once, the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. So, Jesus is just feeling so much for this man. So much compassion that he says, hey, get up and heals him on the spot. It's like Nike. Just do it. Or like the video, stop laying around and get up, right? Well, one little side note again, prof hat. Um, This word get up is used in John and throughout the New Testament, usually talking about being resurrected from the dead. So cool. Jesus uses it a couple chapters back when he says, hey, if you destroyed this temple of my body, I will raise it up in three days. And when he's talking about Lazarus in a couple chapters in the 
forward from here, um, he's celebrating after he raises Lazarus up from the dead at the Passover. That's how that word is used. And so immediately that man was cured, raised up to new life. But Jesus slips into the crowd before everyone notices that he did this miracle and he's bombarded by all of these people who want to get well. It's not yet Jesus' time to do all that healing. So Jesus speaks and bodies are healed. Just like last week, it happens again. Jesus has the power to heal our bodies. But he has power that's even greater than that. He has power to make every one of us whole. That's the main point of this story. Jesus has the power to make us whole. So in verse 14, the story continues. It says, Later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. So the man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. So does Jesus purposely look for this man? Maybe. He probably wanted a private conversation, not a big public conversation. I mean, who really wants to tell everybody, stop sinning? It's not a very good phrase to shout out in public, right? And what does Jesus mean by that? That's a really harsh thing to say, right? He's not saying that if you sin, you're going to get sick. Yes, if you sin, there is consequences. You might get sick. But if you're sick, it's not because you sinned. And that's clear here and throughout the Bible. But what Jesus is doing, he's pleading with this man. He has such great compassion. He says, hey, I've given you new physical life, but I want to make you whole, all of you, every part of you. I want you to have everlasting life. So stop sinning or you'll miss out on it. In other words, you need the Holy Spirit in you to make you new, not just in your body, but your whole life. And if you sin, you're fighting against that work. So for better or for worse, the man goes off and tells the Jewish leaders, this is why they're mad at Jesus, that, hey, Jesus healed me on the Sabbath. Different sermon, different time. So what is the point of this story? I've kind of already mentioned it. First, the miracle shows us that Jesus is the Son of God. What's more important, that he alone has the power to make us whole. I don't know where you are at this morning. Maybe you're sick and tired of being sick and tired. Maybe you're doing just fine. Maybe you're worn out. Your heart is heavy. Your prayers are wearing thin at the beginning of every day. Realize this, that Jesus knows what it's like to be hurt and broken. I mean, he's been through the worst of the worst pain. That's what we get to see as he heads to the cross. He relates with each and every one of us in our pain. And more than that, he has such great compassion for all of us. And not just for me and you, but like each and every one of you. But maybe you think that no one can heal you. 
or that what you've done is not forgivable. It's just too far out there. (laughs) This story is exactly for you. Because just like Jesus, though he had a crowd of people that he needed to heal, he went and searched for that one, that one man who needed it more than anyone else. So if you think that you're too far, no way. Jesus is searching for you. He wants to bring you to new life and make you whole. Jesus is so desperately and compassionately looking for us. So he has the power and only him to make us whole. We cannot do it on our own. Like the man who had no one to help him to get in the pool, we're in the same boat. Or the woman in the counselor's office, right? That's why people go to counseling is because they realize that they need someone to help them. They cannot do it on their own. Or like some of the people in our church, our community, maybe they go to the doctor and the doctor can kind of heal their physical ailments, but it's not going to make them whole in the long run. We cannot heal ourselves. It doesn't work. But Jesus, he alone has the power to make us whole. But maybe we're waiting for something or someone else to fill that void. Like the man waiting on the roof for something else, some other miracle that God didn't provide to save him. Or maybe it's like, stop it. (laughs) We're waiting for a different solution than just the plain, simple answer. Stop it. Maybe it's like the man in the story who has his pool of Bethesda, and that's all he's got. We're waiting for something else. And they're all good solutions, but ultimately, only Jesus can make us whole. So let's look to him for that healing and salvation and restoration. Jesus alone has the power to make us whole, but being made whole will cost us everything. This idea of wholeness, unending peace and satisfaction and joy in our lives, it is, it's priceless. Well, it's mostly priceless because Jesus was the only one who could pay the price for it. It's worth everything, and we should give up everything to get it. We have to. You see, Jesus gives us a new life and identity So we're not the same person anymore. So give up that old life because it doesn't really exist anymore. We're not lame. We're not sick. We're not broken. We have been healed. So let's live like it. By the power of the Holy Spirit, get up. Pick up your mat. Stop sinning and live like Jesus is working inside of you because he is. He is alive now he's doing amazing things, healing and restoring every one of us. All I am, Jesus, we need to surrender it to him. And we do this because we trust that Jesus is good and that his love is great. Stop sinning. Yes, we might be weak, but Jesus' spirit, the Holy Spirit, is strong inside of us, working And though our flesh might fail, his promise to heal us and his power working out in our lives, it never will fail. 
he will always be there to carry us through no matter what life throws our way. Jesus wants us to be whole. He has the deepest compassion for each of us. Will you choose to believe him, to trust in his power and his grace, and to surrender to the Holy Spirit's work in your life? It'll cost you everything, but you'll get everything back. Your life will be transformed forever. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this story. God, I don't know where we are this morning. But Lord, I know that you are telling us your truth because you love us. So Lord, if we need your healing power, would you come and heal the part of us that needs to be healed? God, help us see that our solution isn't always your solution. God, would you help us stop looking for other ways to heal, other addictions that feed our um, comfort, God, or other people that provide that need, but ultimately you're the one that needs to satisfy us. God, would you come and make us whole? Would you help us to know that your spirit is alive and well, working in us and through us, and that you alone, not us, can make us well? God, and finally, for those of us who have been healed and know it, God, would you give us your eyes to see people around us at the pool who are in desperate need of not only some sort of healing, but God, of your great and eternal grace in their lives. Would you give us boldness to go up and risk, you know, embarrassment in the crowd so that we might say, hey, do you know Jesus? God, so that we can point people to you and your truth and your power so that more of us would come and worship you because of what you've done in our lives. God, thank you. Heal us and send us out to point people towards you. In Jesus' name, amen.